Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Martin Luther King Jr. said, History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Why do good people do nothing or stay silent in the face of wrongdoing? My guest on today's show is Professor Catherine Sanderson, and she's studied the factors that influence our tendency to remain bystanders. She'll share how we can understand and resist that pressure in our own lives and how we can become a voice for positive change. Are you ready to meet her? Professor Catherine A. Sanderson is the Polar Family Professor of Psychology and Chair of the Psychology Department at Amherst College. She's published college and K-12 health textbooks and trade books on parenting, as well as how mindset influences happiness, health, and even how long we live in her book, The Positive Shift. Professor Sanderson speaks regularly for public and corporate audiences on topics like the science of happiness, the power of emotional intelligence, the art of aging well, and the psychology of courage and inaction. You may have seen her in the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the Atlantic, CNN, CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauley, and many other places besides. Professor Sanderson writes a weekly blog for Psychology Today called Norms Matter, that looks at the power of social influence on virtually all aspects of our lives. Her latest book is Why We Act, Turning Bystanders into Moral Rebels. Find out more about Professor Sanderson and her work at sandersonspeaking.com. Catherine, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you so much for the invitation to talk. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to have you here. Let's maybe start with looking into that idea that bad things are done by bad people. What do you think about that? So I think that's a very intuitively appealing thought that bad people do bad things. And therefore, if I'm not a bad person and my kids, my family members, my friends are not bad people, then we're going to be okay. So I think that's a very appealing thought. But what research in psychology and, of course, considerable life experience show time and time again is it's just not that simple and that there are lots of times in which good people do bad things or good people fail to speak up when they witness bad things happening. Why don't we step up when something happens? I think we've all had experiences of walking past someone who needs help, of watching something happen where we know we should get involved, but we just can't quite do it. Why don't we step up? So that's a fabulous question. And I will say one thing I have so enjoyed while writing this book and now promoting this book is that when I describe what it's about, this idea of people staying silent in the face of bad behavior, everyone has a story. 
everyone tells me, oh, I remember the time I was at this airport or I was in a grocery store or I was in a hotel ballroom. And they have a story. And they have a story about a time in which they saw something that really bothered them and they didn't speak up. And in some cases, people are telling me about events that happened decades ago and that they're still haunted by. So I wrote this book to try to really examine that question. And what the science would tell us is that it's really complicated to step up and do the right thing. First, in some situations, we're not really sure what we're hearing or seeing. So maybe we witness a couple having an argument, and we don't know if that's just some kind of domestic quarrel or if it potentially could be domestic violence. Maybe we hear a racist or sexist slur, and we don't really know if the person is joking or is actually saying something that's offensive and problematic. So there are many cases in which we're not really sure what we're hearing or seeing, and that ambiguity makes it hard to step up. But in other cases, we see something and we're pretty clear that it's a problem. But when we're in a crowd, we think, well, somebody else can step up. I don't actually have to do so. And so stepping up is actually really complicated. Even when we know that something bad is happening and we think that someone should do something, we're just not sure if it has to be us. Do we have a tendency to kind of look for someone else to be responsible? for someone else to be responsible for our action or lack of action? Yes. And, And one of the real challenges, of course, is that if we're in a setting and we look to other people and everyone else is looking to us, basically inaction is breeding inaction. So in group settings, often everyone kind of recognizes there's a problem, but no one individually actually takes that responsibility. A classic example, which I bet many of your listeners can remember, is a case that happened two or three years ago now in which there was a man dragged off a United Airlines flight. And this man was on an overbooked plane. They'd asked for volunteers. No one volunteered. And eventually, airport security came on board, dragged this man off the plane, and he was injured in the process, you know, hit his head against a seat armrest and so on. And many of your listeners will remember that story, and they'll remember it because the passengers on the plane all thought it was horrible. They took out their phones, they started videoing it, they shared it on social media, and that's why we know it happened. But here's the thing that struck me when I watched that, is that no one on the plane stood up and said, stop dragging this man down the aisle, like stop doing this, this is horrific. And, and that's because, because each passenger on the plane could say, well, you know, I'm not a pilot, I'm not a police officer, I'm not in charge here. And so they all recognized that something bad was happening, but they didn't have the tools that they needed to step up and stop it from happening. So when we feel like we're only one part of a larger group, when we feel like the responsibility for acting is not on us, we might not take action. But what happens if we are alone and maybe unobserved? We still maybe don't take that action. Is that right? There are times in which people who are alone do absolutely step up because as you've pointed out, when you're alone and you witness a problem, you know, well, if somebody's going to step in, it has to be me. And so in a sense, that becomes easier. 
But there are certainly cases in which we're alone and we see something happening and we don't do anything. And often those are cases in which we worry about the consequences. If I step up and do something, will I be physically injured in some way? Um, If I report some kind of wrongdoing in my office that I'm aware of, will I be fired? Or will my coworkers no longer want to eat lunch with me? Will I be ostracized in some way? So it's also certainly the case that even when we witness bad behavior and we feel some responsibility to do something, there are times in which we choose deliberately not to act because we're worried about the social or professional or sometimes personal safety consequences. And there also might be a fear, and maybe this is just me, but a fear of uh, being embarrassed, of getting it wrong, of overreacting or of not quite understanding what was happening. Do you know what I mean? Um, If like uh, trying to break up a fight between two people where they say, oh, no, we're just kidding. Did you not figure that out? That kind of thing. Yes, no, that's a, that's a wonderful example, and and I think that that actually plays out in many different situations. So I often use the example of a student being in a class, and the professor says, "Do you have any questions?" And many of us can remember a time in which we were in a class, and a professor said, "Do you have any questions?" And you had a question, but when you went to raise your hand, you look around at all the other students in the room, and if no one else is raising your hand even if you know you have a question, it becomes very hard to raise your hand because you look at all these other people and you think, well, if no one else is raising their hand, then no one else has a question. And I certainly don't want to be the only one raising my hand and asking a stupid question and feeling embarrassed. And so there is a situation in which your behavior, not raising your hand, looks exactly the same as everybody else's behavior, not raising their hands. And yet you assume that your behavior is being driven by fear of looking stupid, fear of being embarrassed, and that other people's behavior is in fact driven by their superior knowledge. They have you know, no questions because they understood all the material perfectly. And so that's a case where fear of embarrassment inhibits us from acting, and yet we don't recognize that other people in that exact same situation are also inhibited by fear of embarrassment. And so simply understanding that other people's behavior may be motivated by the same factors as our own, fear of looking stupid, fear of embarrassment, you know, breaking up a fight that turns out to be just, you know, play acting or something, that those factors are very normal human reactions. And just understanding and having that insight can actually give people the courage to step up because they can be less worried about embarrassment if they think other people are also not acting because they're in fact also worried, just like we are, about overreacting or feeling embarrassed. So at a time like the time that we are living in now, so we are living in a time of pandemic, we are recording this interview at a time when there's a great deal of unrest inner and out of outer political and social um, in, I think in like in every sphere of society, there's unrest. How can we find it in ourselves to take action? How can we find our voice and our strength? Because sometimes if everyone keeps their hands down, it's wise to be the one who keeps her hands hand down. Do you know what I mean? Like the like the old joke where they say like everyone who wants to volunteer for latrine duty step forward, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. Great example. 
Yes. So what I think is um, a couple a, a couple of key points. So one, as I describe in my book, I don't think there is one size fits all. So I don't think it's as simple as saying everybody should always speak up, right? Everybody should always, in all situations, speak up and and you know take the courageous action. Because there are times, of course, in which that can be risky, um, socially, personally, and so on. But what I think is essential is that people have tools and strategies that they can use when they see a situation in which maybe they should speak up. Because often what happens is we recognize that maybe we should say something, maybe we should do something, and we just don't know how to do it. And then we beat ourselves up later on. We think, oh, my gosh, here's the perfect line or here's the perfect thing to say or the perfect thing to do. So what I talk about in detail in my book are different strategies that people can use in different situations so that if a situation arises and they feel like they should say something, they they know what they could do. And it doesn't always mean you know, breaking up a fight or saying you're a racist or something. There are many things that we can do that, in fact, lower tensions, try to get people on our side. And let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Here's a simple one. A friend of mine has a daughter who's, so I am white. A friend of mine has a daughter who is Asian. And this daughter was on a bus in Boston in March, sort of early during the pandemic period. And a man on the bus stood up and started yelling at her that she had brought the coronavirus to America, that she and other Chinese people should go back to China and should not be here. And this was a young woman, you know, she's a 21, 22 years old. She was pretty freaked out. But what really struck her was that no one on the bus stood up and told that man to shut up and mm-hmm. protected her. And, and that is, is heartbreaking because everybody on that bus surely knew that that man was crazy and that this woman was not responsible for bringing the coronavirus, and yet nobody called him out. And so there are so many different things that people on that bus could have done. Um, somebody could have stood up and said, stop being racist. That's offensive. You know, she didn't bring it here. But somebody could have walked over to her and just sat with her and just said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? What are your plans? And they could have acted like they knew her. They could have given her some physical support in that situation. And so those are the kinds of different examples in which I think there's not one size fits all. But if we have strategies that we can use, whether it's trying to build empathy with somebody, whether it's trying to stop bad behavior before it escalates, that there are subtle things that we can do in lots of different situations in our personal and professional lives that can call out bad behavior, can put a stop to it, and can maybe give other people around us the courage to also step up if they see bad behavior happening. You're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Professor Katherine Sanderson. Her new book is Why We Act, Turning Bystanders into Moral Rebels. You can find out more about Professor Sanderson and her work at sandersonspeaking.com. I love that, that idea, that image of going to sit next to the woman on the bus, of um, of building empathy. We are in an era where it feels to me that empathy is rapidly becoming something we've forgotten all about or that isn't valued how can what are some other ways we can build empathy and use that as something that gives us courage to speak courage to act so another thing that of course we are confronted with right now in this very unprecedented time is this challenge of really adopting a very new social norm wearing a mask 
<laughs> now that is something that no one would have dreamed about a few months ago that we would all be you know wearing masks to go into restaurants or uh, drugstores you know and so on and one of the challenges that that people in some parts of the country in particular are facing is people saying you know why should I wear a mask you know I'm young or I'm healthy or you know this is not going to impact me so there's an example in which you can play out different possibilities so one possibility is to say you know you're unsafe or you're stupid or you're not understanding the virus or whatever but that can really just antagonize the person and make things worse an alternative would be to try to get that person on your side so to say something like i know that you know you are young and healthy but you know my mom is you know immunocompromised or i have a child with severe asthma you know or i really um, am worried that in my job as a healthcare worker i might you know pass it on to one of my patients so i would really appreciate it if you would wear a mask so there you're making your request about them changing their behavior. You're making it about you and you're pulling them into your side. So you're trying to help them see the world through your eyes instead of saying they're bad or they're stupid um, or they're risky. You're saying, could you do this for me? Could you make this connection? And so those are ways in which we can build empathy. And in fact, research shows that people who feel more empathy for other people are much more likely to step up and do something, whether it's, you know, bullying situations in school or sexual misconduct and so on. Identifying with the person who's in need is much more likely to lead people to step up and do the right thing. Well, and it also, I believe as we develop empathy for others, we're also more likely to be empathetic with ourselves because one of the things that drives bad behavior, as as I understand it and in my experience, is the way in which our anger, our frustration, our self-hatred, our imbalance is projected out of us into the world. And the time we're living right now through right now is a gigantic amplifier of much of that inner frustration and imbalance. Yes, absolutely. And and of course, this time is is unique in some senses, right? A global pandemic is certainly unprecedented, but there are certainly other examples, both present day and historically, in which this type of environment is in fact present and all around us. And we need to have tools and strategies to know how to respond. What is it that you most want people to learn from the book? This is fascinating. There's lots of detail about like different psychological experiments and what we learn from them. And then there's all this good practical stuff. What do you want readers to most take away from the book? Well, thank you for those kind words. And um, perhaps I have a very lofty goal, but, <laughs> but my really lofty goal is that I want people to understand that we can all learn to step up. And I want people to develop the school of the skills and strategies for doing so. I think that there are often times in which people say, well, you know, some people step up or, you know, I don't have this confidence or, you know, I'm not really a leader in that sense, you know. And, and what I want people to take from it is that we are going to be in a better place in the world if people do have the ability to stand up and call out bad behavior. And that even if that is not your natural strength or skill or forte, there are things you can do to develop these skills in yourself, in the people around you, in your children, for people who are parents, and so on. Uh, you started today by reading one of my favorite quotes, the Martin Luther King quote about the appalling silence of the good people. And, and to me, that's really what I'm trying to do in this book. And in fact, uh, when I initially sent out this book to publishers and agents, 
that was the title that I wanted. <laughs> the appalling silence of the good people was the title that I that I wanted. Of course, in the publication process, you know, other people get to make these decisions. Um, but but that's really what I wanted because I feel that there are not so many bad people in the world. There are some, but really not very many. But what we have are lots of appallingly silent good people. And if those people could be inspired to speak up and act, the world would be a better place. And I'm hoping that my book gives people the tools to not be silent. What does it mean to be a moral rebel? Because that sounds delightful and a little bit dangerous. Like I need <laughs> special clothes for that sort of. <laughs> yeah. So so I love I love that you asked that question um, because a moral rebel is basically the opposite of a bystander. So the, a moral rebel is somebody who stands up, calls out bad behavior and says, hey, you know, don't say that or can I help you, you know, and so on, goes and sits by the, the girl on the bus who's being victimized. And so a moral rebel is somebody who doesn't worry about the sort of normal social inhibition factors that lead many of us, most of us to stay silent. Moral rebels tend to have high levels of empathy. They're very good at putting themselves in somebody else's shoes and having that perspective taking, but they also are self-confident. They, they feel that they have the ability to step up and say and do the right thing. They don't worry about the social consequences. And that lets them be able to not worry about the fear of embarrassment, fear of, you know, potential issues that can come uh, and, and they're able to step up. And there's some people who naturally seem to have that skill, but we can all develop that skill, even if it's not our natural comfort level. Can you please let the listeners know how they can find out more about you and your work? What, it, what is there at your website? How can they get more deeply in touch with the book as well? Super. Well, thank you so much for asking that question. So my website, as you've said, is sandersonspeaking.com. And on my website, they can see um, videos that I've done of other talks. They can also get linked directly to some different blog posts that I've done for Psychology Today that looks at lots of these issues that we've talked about. Uh, they can watch a little a version of, um, of a preview I did of this book, which is a TEDx talk I did called The Psychology of Courage and Inaction, which I think sort of lays out um, lots of the different issues that we've discussed. And, and you can link up directly and buy the book uh, if people are, are particularly interested. And I will also say that during this time of global pandemic, I'm really hoping people who choose to buy my book or any book are interested in supporting independent bookstores. And those are the links that I provide on my website. Wonderful. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for sharing your light with the listeners. Thank you so much for this invitation to talk. As I'm sure you can tell and your listeners can tell, this topic is one that is of great personal meaning to me, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Well, in that personal passion, this is how the good people take over the world. I, I believe as you let that personal passion direct your actions, and then you create something that makes bigger change. So thank you for being passionate. The bored people don't usually write very good books, do they? They're not much fun to read. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen. <laughs> Thank you. That is Professor Catherine Sanderson. Her new book is Why We Act, Turning Bystanders into Moral Rebels. And you can find out more about Catherine and her work at sandersonspeaking.com. And of course, you're always welcome to um, check out my website, which is karenhager.com. That's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. And you're always welcome to book a private session with me if you are so inclined. And if you believe, as 
as I believe that when we are brave enough to make change, when we shift our inner landscape, when we change the way we think, the way we imagine, the way we see ourselves and the way we see our other people, that things really do change. If you resonate with that, I invite you to check out openpeacefulheart.com. That's a place where you can find links to a ton of guided meditations and get information about the free monthly guided meditation program that my wife and I do every month. That's open to everybody in the world. And it is 15 minutes of focusing on peace in our hearts and peace in the world. No selling, no yelling, no politics, no nothing, just peace. Focus on peace. When we come together with our collective intention, things change. There are a lot of forces at work in the world right now that invite you to splinter off, to fold into your own tiny, tight, kind of squalid, airless knot of worrying about yourself and that makes sense fear makes sense love makes more sense open up a little bit see where you can be of service in the community in the world that can start with the smallest step so check out openpeacefulheart.com maybe a few moments of guided meditation will help lift your spirits and can help change our path and thank you for listening today together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.